I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. And welcome to Strange and Sinister, where we talk about true crime, psychology, conspiracy theories, mysteries, and all things spooky and weird. I wonder if my voice sounds weird. Does it sound weird to you? It sounds different, but it doesn't sound bad. I disclaimer, I'm a pretty bad cold. My nose is real messed up right now. But it's okay, because Sarah's taking the lead on this one, so I won't really be talking all that much until we get to the combo. It's all right. You're a real trooper, though. I'm doing my best. So we've actually also already recorded this episode, but the audio was very, very bad, so we decided to re-record so that we could put out something we're proud of. So everything is going to be way less of a shock for Emily. Honestly, though... Last time, I feel like I didn't really absorb all the information. I was throwing a lot at you. So I feel like this time, I'll have a lot more to discuss. So I think it's okay that we're re-recording it, because we'll have some really good conversation about what the tea is. Me too, because I'm just going to go ahead and say that you're not ready for the things I've discovered since the first time we recorded this. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah, so you actually may be shocked to find out quite a few things that I've learned. Okay, that is tea. I dove way farther into the theories, into the investigation, and I learned a lot. And I've known about this case for years. I've studied it a lot. I've read a lot of articles. And every time I look at this case, I learn something new. And this shit gets crazier than it already was. And it already is crazy. I think it's crazy that I have never heard of this until you said it. Until you... Really? Yeah, no, I've never heard of it, ever. This is such a big case, though. I I don't know how I missed it. It must have just, like, flew right over everything that I've looked at. But I've never heard of it. So today's case is very well known, very mysterious, and has a lot of theories. If I were to touch on every fact of this incident and every theory, it would have its own podcast. Netflix could release a 10-part documentary on this case, and you would always be at the edge of your seat. It would never be dull. They should. I would watch the crap out of that documentary. Side note, this has nothing to do with this, but have you seen that new Dahmer show with Evan Peters on Netflix? I haven't. I hear a lot of things about it. Yeah. That, you know, you want to stay away from sensationalizing terrible people. Absolutely. I mean, that story has been told like over and over and over again. I don't know. This has nothing to do with this. I love Evan Peters, though. He's a cutie. I've got to say, I really only watched it to see how he would do in the role. Yeah. And oh, my God. I bet he does good. It's fucking crazy. This man. He got the accent down and like the way he walks and the way like, I don't know, just the essence of it. It had me shook. Anyway, shout Evan Peters. We love you, dude. Yeah. I bet our listeners really want to know what this case is about though yeah that's true sorry guys this is the dietzlove pass incident the realty is that the first time you said that i thought you meant like diet love like d-i-e-t space l-o-v-e i was just trying really hard to pronounce it right and i like overdid it (laughs) (laughs) it's okay it's not dietzlove but it's like diet love yeah diet love yeah i see I nerd out so much to this case. I'm so excited to hear you tell it again because I already kind of forget Loki. It's full of weird details and there's a lot of things that can't be explained. There's a debate of whether this was completely natural or this is a total cover up. 
regardless, it can pretty much be agreed upon that the victims of this incident were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we may even get into talks of cryptids, which, hell yeah. Cryptids? Yeah, the Yeti, Bigfoot. Holy shit. Yeah. Get into it. I'm all for it. This all takes place in the Soviet Union in February of 1959. We're following a group of nine experienced hikers and friends slash classmates. Most of them were students at the Ural Polytechnical Institute, and they were engineers and scientists, all very intelligent and all very experienced hikers and skiers. They were all grade two certified in hiking, but they were doing this hike so that they could earn their grade three certification. And grade three was the highest certification in the Soviet Union. I didn't know there were like levels to hiking certification me neither i mean that's cool it's like scuba diving i think there's like levels to that too right i guess i know nothing about scuba diving either yeah me neither and you earn this experience by the miles or kilometers you've hiked skied climbed and also where you've done it like the skill level required to even do those strenuous hikes and this is taking place in a super cold climate too and this is not an easy hike they are far out in the wilderness climbing mountains Sub-zero temperatures, low visibility, anything can happen. T. Right? I'm good. I don't think... (laughs) No. Could not be me. (laughs) Sarah and I are not the most... We're not outdoorsy. I'm not outdoorsy. I mean, I enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, me too. But not to that extent, I think. No way. But this is important to know. Every single one of them was smart, experienced, and very capable to be doing this expedition. This isn't a bunch of college students going on an adventure in the woods. They are very capable people who know what they're getting into. And initially, 10 leave on this trip, and they are all led by a man named Iglor Dyatlov. And this area that they travel to will later be named after him because of what happens there. And he was 23 years old, and he was majoring in radio engineering. They were all between... 21 and 24 in age except one who was in his late 30s and there were eight men and two women. Igor had planned this trip out thoroughly and gotten it approved by the university. While they were there they were all to write in diaries of their experiences and document everything with their cameras so they each had their own diary and their own camera. It's iconic that person in their late 30s went on this dope ass hike. Yeah and he went because he also wanted to level up Um, Yeah, he was really into hiking. That's really all I know about him, actually. Come on, King. But the thing about the cameras, only about half the cameras are recovered. And there's really no explanation what could have happened to the others. They've never been found in this area, has been thoroughly explored since then. So it's a really big mystery about where these cameras are. But from these cameras, they're able to get about 120 photos from the hikers, which is super interesting. And you can look at the photos and see that they were having a good time. They were excited. And you'll also get a glimpse at how difficult this hike is and that it's definitely not for everyone. You can see the kind of gear they're wearing, that they have multiple layers on, and that they are in a super desolate and snowy climate. Again, I'm good yeah no thanks and in addition to these photos there's also a ton of photos taken during the investigation and i'm going to share some of the photos on our instagram but i'll also leave some links where you can find all the other photos if you're interested so keep in mind this is taking place in russia so i'm going to struggle with the names of the people and the places but i'm gonna do my best i've tried really hard to prepare to say these names right 
So the hikers depart on January 23rd, 1959. They travel by train for two days and arrive in a town called Ivdel, and from there they take a truck to Vishai. This is a small village and the last people they see before they continue on their own. But while they're there, they spend the night, they eat bread, and they visit with the villagers. So their trek begins and they make their way towards Gora, a torchin of the Ural Mountains. And these mountains are a geographical border between Europe and Asia. On January 28th, one of the hikers named Yuri Yudin, who suffered from chronic joint pain, was having a really hard time and he didn't want to hold the others back and he was really upset, but he decided to turn back. He ended up actually splitting up from the group and making his way back to the village. And it wasn't a decision he made lightly, but it was a decision that ended up saving his life. And before Yuri leaves, they all take some group photos together and everyone just looks so happy and full of life and joyful. They were so excited and they were built for this. This is what they thrived off of. Me, not even close. I'm a homebody. <laughs> but you could really tell these people were in their element. That's so cute. Right? Kiki in on the mountain. And the nine hikers continue on. And by January 31st, they find a place that they can leave some of their supplies for their trek back. So this is like a two-week trip, by the way. So they're not planning to be back until around the 12th of February. And they reconfirm this with Yuri that they will reach out by telegram by the 12th. Telegram? Oh, yeah. This is in the 50s. Yeah, it is in the 50s. But telegram like that, that was less than 100 years ago that people were using telegrams. Yeah, I guess. Isn't that weird? Is that like, OK, I'm about to sound so stupid. Yeah. That's like Morse code shit, right? Were they like, beep, yes, be. Oh, wait, maybe not. Is that a telegram? Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Not us sounding like a bunch of dumbasses. Should we look this up? I can look it up real quick. I'm not that stupid, I promise. But I feel like we have a good excuse being that we have never used a telegram before. Well, yeah, telegrams have not really been a thing in our lifetime. But we learned about it in school. I'm pretty much a dumbass, though, so. (laughs) I feel that. It's an app. Telegram's an app. That's not helpful. Oh. It's the long-distance transmission of messages where the sender uses symbolic codes known to the recipient rather than a physical exchange of an object bearing the message. So yeah, it is It is like the Morse code thing. That makes me feel a little bit better. I'm not that dumb. Okay, continue. Can you imagine being in the woods for several weeks like that? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. So this whole area is extremely rural and full of harsh conditions, and it's actually in a territory that is lived in by the Mansi people, which is an indigenous tribe to the area. And on February 1st, they set up a camp on the side of a mountain on the slopes of Kolat Siakl. I butchered that. That's one of the names I really am unsure about. But to the Mansis, this literally means dead mountain. Shit. Yeah. Probably not smart to hike up that hoe dead mountain so that's what we're gonna call it from now on because that's way easier to say yeah so some theories out there do point to the mansi tribe but they kind of tend to be done in poor taste some theories say they were responsible for what happens they say they cursed them or they followed the mountain to the woods others say that this mountain was sacred grounds which is not true at all the mansi people actually avoided this area and they did it because it wasn't safe And they've actually always been quite helpful with everything. They were at the last village and they met with the hikers and gave them advice. And they even warned them away from the mountains because it wasn't safe. 
and they know this area more than anyone, and Yuri, the one who survives because he departs early, does remember the tribe warning them away from the area. Yeah, I think we should all, as a society, stop coming for indigenous people. Thank you. That would be nice and very appreciated. Thank you. And then afterwards, the Mansi people helped too with the search of these hikers, and they've always been known as a peaceful people. See? So I don't buy into the theories one bit that the Mansi people did anything with ill intent or caused any part of the incident to happen, but they do exist. They say these theories were pushed by Russian media more than anything to put blame on this tribe and maybe overshadow some other theories that were emerging at the time. Now that's tea. Yeah. Cover up. So I wanted to disregard this theory early on because it's just not it. But this mountain is said to be haunted as there is a Mansi legend that nine hunters of the Mansi tribe had gone into these mountains and were found dead, but not in violent ways. But it is kind of interesting that there were nine hunters and it ends up being nine hikers. Shut up. Yeah, it's weird. It does lead to some superstition that maybe these hikers were doomed because of the previous legend. But because of this legend and this mountain area being incredibly dangerous and desolate, it had earned itself the name by the Mansis as Dead Mountain. So they set up on the slope of the mountain and the area they pick isn't super steep and I will have a photo of the tent set up so you'll see that it's a pretty flat part of the mountain where they decided to set up this evening also isn't the safest place you would have thought they would have traveled back down the mountain and used the shelter of the forest but they chose to stay up on this slope and it's assumed that the group probably didn't want to lose their progress by going back down and also they wanted to test out camping here and outweigh the experience uh, to the risk of it that makes sense i feel like i explained that so weird no that makes sense like they didn't want to go back down to lose their progress and also it's more risky to set up camp there so they might seem more like i'm doing some hard shit right now you know this is that what you're saying yeah okay so they chose this spot to pitch their tents and i'm just gonna throw this in there we have a little blooper from the first time we recorded it's too funny not to conclude oh (laughs) Do you remember now? Sarah said, pinch their tits. <laughs> pinch their tits. Pinch their tits. So they laid down eight of the skis and pitched the tent, which is really hard to say, actually, above them for insulation from the snow. Above them. They laid down eight of the skis and pitched the tent. Oh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. They pitched the tent above the skis for insulation from the snow and okay. also support for the tent. And then... This is important. There was a remaining ninth ski that they left sticking straight up in the snow nearby. And that's a pretty important detail for later on. Okay. And diary entries from this night let us know that the hikers were excited, that everything was going really well, and they were in good spirits. And the last entry that anyone would write, and I believe it was one of the girls actually, her name's Zenaida, who wrote this. And it really does kind of encompass just how surreal it must have been to be that far out from civilization. Uh, She wrote, It is difficult to imagine such a comfort on the ridge with shrill, howling wind hundreds of kilometers away from human settlements. Again, I think I'm good. No, I'd be so freaked out and scared. Hell no. You would not catch me up on the ridge. No way. Sorry, Zenaida girl. 
They were only about 10 miles out from their destination, and it's probably why they didn't want to backtrack and lose more time. Like, can you imagine traveling all day on foot up this slope and getting to where they are and then just having to turn back a few miles just to sleep for the night? Yeah, I can see how that would be annoying. I even read that from where they were the next morning, they'd be able to see their destination from where they set up their tent. So they settle in for the night, but they do not stay here. In the middle of the night, something compels them to leave their tent and not just leave, but slash open their tent from the inside and leave without their boots, their gear, and without any supplies. Out into the freezing temperatures in the dark and low visibility. There's wind, there's snow everywhere, and they just leave. That's so scary. Yeah. What could it possibly be that would make you leave your only source of safety? What stresses me out is that they slash the tent from the inside. Like, why would you need to do that in any right? situation? I don't know a single situation. It makes you wonder where the threat was coming from, if it was inside the tent or outside the tent, almost. were They, they weren't all in one tent, were they? Yes, they all shared a tent. Oh, okay, okay. I don't know a situation in which you'd have to slash open the inside, like your tent from the inside to get out of it. Yeah, and it gets weirder. Confusion already. So everyone was expecting the group of hikers to be back to the village of Visai around the 12th. And from there, they were going to send a telegram back to the university. But because it's such a long trip into the wilderness, when the group isn't back that day, no one is super concerned. The hike could have taken longer than they planned. They could have been held up by weather a few days. There's a lot of factors. So everyone gives it a few days before there's any real concern. And it's not until around the 20th of February that they decide they need to send out a search and rescue for these hikers. And most of the search group were student volunteers being led by Mansi guides. Dang, that's like over a week. Yeah. Shit. Well, that night was the 1st of February when all that happened with the hikers. And they don't send anybody out search and rescue till the 20th. Damn. Yeah. That's busted. And they search for nearly a week before they find anything, which makes sense. These volunteers are having to hike far out into the wilderness to find them because these hikers were days and days into their hike. So to me, it's amazing they actually found anything that quick. Oh, absolutely. If they went missing, like, on the 1st, and that no one even started looking for them until the 20th, like, snow has already fallen on them. Like, there's already, like, wear and tear. True. You know? So on February 26th, they find the tent and they see that nothing is jammed with the zipper that they could have easily left without slashing the tent open. And yet something was so threatening in that moment, they chose to destroy their only source of shelter. And when you're talking about temperatures that cold, shelter is extremely important to your survival. So whatever else was happening, we have to assume was way more of a threat to these hikers. Yeah, and they're experienced, so they know that shelter is the most important thing And the tent was for sure slashed from the inside. They studied the fabric and could see that the cut happened from the inside, not the outside. That is so weird. Now, the tent was covered in snow, but it wasn't completely covered. It was pretty much just a dusting of snow. It was still mostly visible, and there will definitely be a photo of this on our Instagram page because it's a really telling photo of the scenery and just how it's found says a lot or does away with a lot of theories that are out there yes follow our instagram (laughs) yeah changing sinister you should follow it because then you can follow along with these episodes and see all the real tea about it 
So they find most of the cameras in the tent, and in the recovered photos, they don't find anything suspicious happening. Everything seems to be going as expected, and same with the diaries and journals that they all kept. Not all were found, but what is found, it seems like everything is going as planned. And also, everything seems to be pretty much in their place in the tent. It isn't a complete mess. Even though it's collapsed, there's still order to the tent. So nothing was majorly disrupted. Weird. Okay. Footprints are found of the nine hikers walking away from the tent. Not running. Walking. In quite an orderly fashion. Like single file. What? Yeah. So the general theory about this is if it's pitch black, they might have done this in order to avoid getting lost from each other. Yeah, but if there's a threat that is so threatening, yeah, this <laughs> that is you all... need to cut the un- your tent open from the inside like, and walk away not- from your supplies too. Yeah, are you not running? Why are you not running? Yeah, I don't know. So the sun set that day around 5 p.m. There, if they had already set up their tent for the night, it's likely that the sun had already gone down, so it's pitch black when they leave. There are no lights out there in the wilderness, and they're not going to have good sources of light themselves. None of them have their boots on. They're wearing socks, and some of them are even barefoot. And they left accessible warm clothes and their boots inside the tent, as well as tools, weapons. They left knives behind, axes. So something else at this point is a bigger threat than freezing to death, and they're also rushed enough to not take things with them. I hate this. Me too. I hate it. It is very frustrating because you just don't understand why. Because you know these are very smart people. They have survival instincts. So why are they making the decisions that they are? Right? I don't know. Literally, the first thing that I do, even when I wake up and step on my cold hardwood floor, (laughs) is put on like socks or something. So it just does not add up to me. Because wouldn't they be sleeping in their boots? They wouldn't be sleeping in boots, but they would definitely be sleeping bundled up. They would have something on their feet, though. Weird. So why were they, why were some of them barefoot? Yeah, what? Okay. (laughs) They could have left their tent with something on their feet, though. That comes back later. At least socks or something. Okay. And they're not fully clothed either, or at least they're not found fully clothed. And there's different theories to explain this, but nothing would really explain them ever leaving their tent not fully clothed because they know the risk of hypothermia. Right. Like, I feel like hypothermia would kill you faster than anything else would. Oh, yeah. And they don't stay together. They actually end up breaking off from each other into smaller groups. So then what the hell is the point of walking out in a single file ass line? Um, things change. I don't know. That's the big question, though. Yeah. Because they're not found together. They're found in different areas, different groups. Okay. The next day, on February 27th, two bodies are found. They're found down by the forest that was below the tent, so roughly a mile away, I think. And these are the bodies of Yuri, who also went by Georgie, Kravonashenko, and Yuri Doroshenko. And neither of these are to be confused with the Yuri that went back early. They just have the same name. Damn, there were three Yuris. Three Yuris. Shit. They were found laying perfectly side by side under a cedar tree. They both had socks on, no shoes, and they were wearing only their undergarments. And near them was the start of a campfire, too. 
So when Yuri was found, most notably his hands were incredibly mangled and scratched up, and he had gray fluid coming out of his mouth. Ew. Yes, but he did have chest trauma, and this could explain the gray fluid. Apparently, that's a thing that can happen. That's nasty. It is. He had burns, too, on the right side of his head and around his hair, and he was covered in bruises and abrasions, and he had blood coming out of his mouth, his ears, and his nose. Holy shit. Yeah. Georgie also was covered in bumps and bruises. There was skin found in his mouth from his own hand as if he had been biting. Oh, my God. Yeah, which I can imagine if you're in that amount of pain from the cold. Yeah. Like, freezing to death has to be, like, torture. So, he was probably going crazy and having to bite himself just to withstand the cold yeah like the trauma to his body because like along with everything else that happened to him too like i'm sure his shit was fucked up yeah he had a burn too on his left leg and he also had similar injuries to his hands as yuri did and he did have the abrasions down his arm so that campfire it wasn't started or like it was no the uh, the campfire had been lit oh okay yeah okay and a few things about their surroundings uh there was the fire that they'd successfully lit and had going and also the tree that they were laying under had flesh and blood caught in the bark there is a theory that they must have been climbing this tree pretty desperately yuri could have fallen causing the trauma to his chest and the gray fluid to come from his mouth he could have fallen on the fire and that could have caused his burns but the big question is why were they climbing the tree and why were they doing it so intensely? Like they were climbing for their life if they were causing these kind of injuries. Yeah, I wonder how they would have had time to make the campfire if they were running. Well, I away. imagine at this point they've gotten away from whatever they're scared of or running from and they're trying to recover from it. So yeah. they build a fire because they need warmth. Yeah. And then whatever it is, roll back up and they're like, yeah, and then maybe, yeah, something happens, whatever it is that they get scared of, or maybe they're lost and they want to climb the tree to get a, a viewpoint. Okay, which yeah. But I, I don't, don't know if no, you would be... Yeah, that's a theory that's out there, but it's hard to really understand if that's a possibility with low visibility and it being pitch black out there. And also, I don't think they would hurt themselves that bad over climbing to get a good vantage point. I feel like if you were injuring yourself that bad climbing, you would have to be really scared. Yeah, it bothers me. That bothers me. I don't like this case. The lower branches of the tree were broken too, and it's expected that they could have climbed up to 15 feet of this tree. Later that day, three more are found in another location. Hmm. And these three aren't super close to each other, but they're found within about 100 meters of each other. And it's believed that they were actually making their way back to the tent because they were found between the forest and the campsite. And I think they gathered this information based off how they were walking. Maybe. Okay, that makes sense. Igor Dyatlov, who was the leader of the expedition, was one of them. And then one of the girls, Zenaida Kolmogorova and Rustam Slobodin. I'm so sorry. You're doing your best. I don't, I don't want to butcher these names. I want to be really respectful. I can barely speak English, though, so. Yeah, if I never edited these, you would truly know. Oh, just how terrible I am how at talking? terrible we both are at <laughs> English. All their autopsies said that they passed away of hypothermia. 
that they had frostbite, and that they all had wounds of falling on ice and rocks, just like the first two. Dyatlov was more clothed than the first two, but he had nothing for his head. He only had one sock on and no shoes. He had injuries on his hands that suggested he'd been in a hand-to-hand fight. Igor was found with a stick in one hand, and his other hand was held up in front of his face, almost like he'd been trying to fight something off. Sinaida was very bruised up and listed on her autopsy as dying from hypothermia as well. And she was better dressed, but she did not have any shoes either. She had damage specifically to her hands, her head, and her chest. But also, the bruises on her body were described like she'd been hit with a baton. That's a very specific thing to describe. But the other guy had a stick in his hand, so maybe he was smacking her. They both were bruised. Maybe they were fighting. But also... A stick is a stick and a baton is a baton, you know? Like if the coroner is going to use this word baton to describe her bruises, I don't understand how a stick could do that. Maybe. But then I'm like, he has a stick in his hand and she has these bruises on her body. What if? Yeah, I don't know. It's very weird. I don't really buy into the theories that there was something within the group going on. But I mean, it's possible they just don't seem like the type to turn on each other and there's no motive for anyone especially in this situation they all need to be looking out for each other to survive if any of them turns on the other they're all dead you know yeah Yeah. it just doesn't i don't understand the motive for that i understand that yeah but it is weird it's very weird and rustam was dressed a little more too but he was missing one boot and he had injuries that matched up with being in a hand-to-hand fight he also, which is interesting, if we're talking about Diet Love, who has evidence of being in a fight, and then Zenaida, who's looked like she's been beaten, and then there's Rustam, who's also... Looks like he was in a looks, fight. <gasps> yeah, they're just doing it based off the wounds that they see in the coroner's judgment of it, but that's what these wounds look like. They look like offensive and defensive wounds. Weird. Maybe they were weird. fighting with each other. Maybe. Uh-huh. I never really connected that till now, actually. People don't really theorize on that too much. They don't dwell on that. They dwell a lot on other theories that are out there. He also had damage to his skull. He had a six-inch injury on his head that would have probably impaired his coordination, but it wouldn't have killed him. It would have impaired his mobility, which if you think about to what degree that means, that's really scary. Like when you're stranded in the wilderness and you're mobility is impaired and he's listed as dying of hypothermia they all froze to death despite all these other weird things that happened i don't know how much i buy that but we'll continue on the remaining four are not found until months later on may 4th by mancy hunters and these four their deaths are specifically described as unnatural and mysterious their autopsies are brief and not descriptive though considering how weird their injuries were and the way they're found they are found in a ravine in the forest about 75 meters from where the first two were found they are believed to have survived the longest as they were more clothed either from going to the other bodies and taking off their clothes or they happen to be better dressed but it could explain why the others are less dressed and articles of clothing that these four had on had burns on them so it's assumed that 
those clothes came from Yuri and Georgie, the first two victims who had the campfire. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But these four had sort of sheltered themselves into the snow, creating dens to keep them warm and keep the wind out. Kind of like an igloo. Yeah, that's smart. So there's Nikolai, and he was actually pretty well dressed. Uh, He pretty much had all the gear he would have needed. It's even theorized that he and one other that we'll talk about could have been outside the tent when the incident happened just because of how well they were dressed. They did have boots on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. He had a broken jaw. He had a severely crushed skull, which was contributed to his cause of death along with hypothermia. And it said it would have had to have been the impact of a large force to cause that kind of damage to his skull. They compared it to the force of a car. I don't know who's driving their F-150 up in the mountains. (laughs) And it's really strange how they try to explain his injuries. They say he could have fallen or been thrown, but whatever it was, it would have had to have been the speed and the force equivalent to a car. That's crazy. Yeah. Even if, like, he fell out of a tree or something, I feel like that's not enough force. That's not the same thing. To crush your skull like that. And they keep up with that comparison. I suppose they do that because it's the only way to describe the amount of force required to create the damage they had. That's how damaged they were, all of them, or especially like the last four that were found. And it also just describes how violent their deaths were. That's not a great picture to have in your brain. No. Leodmia Debanina, the other girl on the trip, was found wearing Georgie's pants. And she was wearing a sweater wrapped around her feet uh, to keep her feet warm because she didn't have shoes. Resourceful queen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lydmia had several bruised ribs and, more notably, her eyes were missing. (laughs) I hate that. Completely missing from the sockets. hate that. It's really weird to look at the autopsies or the photos autopsy photos it's really creepy her eyes were missing out of the sockets um the soft tissue around her eyes were missing too and then her tongue was missing (laughs) i hate that i hate this sarah why'd you pick this i don't like this at all i love this case you're weird i know weirdo and it's noted about the autopsy he's the coroner and i kind of touched on this that it's vague But specifically with the tongue, it's the most bothersome because he doesn't describe how much of the tongue is missing or if it's cut off or bitten off or chewed off or um, whatever. It doesn't describe how this tongue is missing or what kind of damage is done. It just says it's implied that the whole tongue is gone. Okay. I mean, I guess it depends on how decomposed the bodies were. They really weren't that decomposed. Yeah, I guess because it was cold. Even in the photos, they don't look like you can tell they're dead, but they're not. It's freezing cold there. It's preserving the body pretty well, even months later. Yeah. I hate that. Anyway. But yeah, a tongue missing leaves a lot of questions, and there's no details that the coroner leaves to give us answers as to what happened to cause the tongue to be gone. If it's animal scavenging, which is a theory... Do animals eat human tongues, though? Well, they would... Small animals might go after soft tissue. 
So they would go after the tongue, the eyes, you know, that kind of... Okay. Maybe. But what animals are living up there? I know. What kind of small animals are living out there in the freezing sub-zero temperatures? Right? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe some. Maybe I'm just not educated. Well, yeah. We're not... I'm not educated on animals that live in the Siberian... (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa. Siberian wilderness. But she did have coagulated blood in her stomach, meaning that whatever happened to her tongue had to have happened when she was still alive. No! Yeah. See, I don't remember any of this still, like, (laughs) low-key. I'm still shook, yeah. No, I'm still shook. So... Ew. Yeah, most theories say it was scavengers, but that's not possible. If she was still alive, there wouldn't be blood in her stomach. Well, if she was somehow incapacitated and still alive... Oh, that's really scary to you think know, about. That's terrifying. Because I, I feel like when you're dying of hypothermia or something, at some point, you are just like incapacitated. You're like, unable to move. So maybe she was just genuinely yeah. like unable to move. And I don't that know. Just happened. If would animals go after living human beings though? Well, yes, but I don't know in this situation if there'd be animals around to go after her because they don't find any footprints or any signs that there are bigger animals around. Yeah, that's what I mean. So it would have had to have been a smaller animal or an animal that was flying. Well, I mean, yeah, that's what I mean. I didn't mean like in general do animals eat live human beings. (laughs) I know that definitely there are quite a few. Like scavengers because you think they would only go after something because they smell the decomposition. Yeah, the deadness. The deadness. Yeah, her autopsy is the strangest, but it has the least amount of detail about why her injuries are happening. Her, were you laughing? It might be sinister, you may say. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I don't even think I mentioned this, but her nose was also crushed in. And listen, never any disrespect here, but a little comedic relief is okay when we're talking about really heavy and dark stuff. Yeah, I need it genuinely we're always going to be really respectful and we're doing this with the best intentions but it's okay to laugh about dark things it's how we cope it truly is because i can't get through these without having a little comedic relief this shit is really depressing it's when i yeah am alone and really getting into the research i sometimes get really freaked out over it oh yeah oh yeah our next episode which I'm not going to give it away yet, but I researching that one gave me nightmares. I cannot wait. So uh, when Lyudmia was found, her mouth was open like she died screaming. Well, yeah, if her tongue was being eaten while she was alive, I'd say I've never heard that theory before, but I guess it's uh, anything's possible. Well, I don't know. I'm just saying like she said they're saying that the tongue was removed yeah. as she was alive. Yes. So obviously I feel like her mouth would have to be open. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Is that not like... <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. I know. <laughs> her autopsy says she died of hypothermia and fatal injuries to her heart, her ribs, and her chest cavity. And it said it would have had to have been a large force to cause this kind of damage, also compared to the force of a car. And they also just kind of compare it to being in a car wreck. 
many of them didn't have bruising going on on the outside to indicate how severe their internal damage was, which is a common thing in car wrecks. Because your insides are being shifted around um, without anything really banging you up. That makes sense. Okay, yes. And her death was described as violent and not accidental. Shit, okay. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. That's what the coroner had to say about that. Yeah, I don't know how that would be accidental, honestly. Right? Yeah. That's almost impossible. All this seems super, if it's this violent, there's something intentionally happening to these people. Oh, yeah. And I read all the autopsies, all the translations, or several translations of them, and the first five bodies that were found were described as violent and accidental. But hers specifically and the rest of the bodies are only described as violent. They do away with the accidental. I think they're just, when they see these bodies, they really start to realize, like, oh, shit. Maybe it wasn't just natural things that could have caused this. So then there's Semen Zolotarev. That's really hard to say. And um, he has a few different names, actually. He also went by Sasha. Um, he preferred to be called Sasha, so I should have just said that because that's way easier to say. Than but, semen? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was saying seven because I didn't want to say semen. <laughs> yeah, I should have just called with Sasha. Shit. But it's the name it's the name I see over and over and everywhere. So I didn't want any of our listeners to look into this and be like, so who the hell where's where the hell is Sasha? I just see this yeah. Semen guy. I don't know if it's like it's probably just like a variant of Simon. Oh, Loki, yeah. It may even be pronounced Simon. Who knows? Yeah, I don't Sim- know. Simon. Semen. <laughs> uh but yeah, but uh his other documents will call him Alexander or Sasha. Because that's what he preferred to go by. Alexander? That's different from Well, Sasha Sasha is a shortened version of Alexander, actually. What? Yeah, it's weird. I don't understand why, but it is. Sasha's a nickname for Alexander. What the fuck? Yeah, isn't that weird? No. It is, though. I promise. That's right. Not in America. Uh, Not really, I guess. Sasha isn't really a popular nickname in America. True. Or it's its own name here. Yeah, that's true. Okay. But yeah, I, 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 yeah. It's like Bob from Robert. Yeah. You know? Just like, I Shit. don't know. That's different though. Sasha from Alexander. I'm telling you, that's it. Maybe they pronounce it like way differently. So True. it sounds the same. You that's know? very possible. Anyway. So he was the oldest of the group. He was the one in his 30s. And he wasn't a student, but an experienced hiker who wanted to go on this hike with them to also gain skill and he was 38 actually and he had more clothes on too some he'd likely taken off the other bodies but because he's also so well dressed like Nikolai they kind of people do theorize that he might have been outside the tent too it isn't a huge theory but it is just a possibility that people throw out there because Nikolai and Sasha are the most dressed so they're like what if they weren't even in the tent when whatever went down yeah because if they had their little boots on then they could have been outside like doing something yeah unless they were in the tent and actually just took the time to put on their boots which is possible but sasha had a camera on him which is strange that well if he was inside the tent it's strange 
because they had to leave their tent and slash open and get out in a rush, and he grabbed his camera. But if he was outside the tent, he could have already had the camera with him. Yeah, that makes me think he was probably outside. I don't know why you would not grab your boots or grab... Well, I guess he had his he, boots on. Well, but he didn't have boots, technically. They were like... I think they were called burka, like, shoes. Okay. So they weren't the best, but they were better than nothing. But I don't know. I don't know why you wouldn't grab other items, like weapons, but you would grab your camera. That just makes me think that maybe he was outside. Yeah. Unless... He grabbed it because he thought there was something really important to capture. That's true. He could have. Yeah. But the camera had water damage, so nothing was gotten off that camera. Yep. 1950s no way to know. analog cam film cameras. Damn film cameras. And his eyes were also missing. I don't like that. Most of his bone on his left eyebrow was exposed. All the skin there was missing. And he had chest injuries on the left side, including broken ribs. Um, I read that he had up to 10 broken ribs. And his chest injuries are especially severe and similar to Lydmia. So it's believed that whatever caused their injuries, it specifically came from the same source or event. And it's described again that there doesn't appear to be damage on the surface so much as there is internally. And he's listed as having died to his fatal injuries but hypothermia isn't listed on his autopsy which i don't remember if that's the only one that doesn't list hypothermia thermia hypothermia <laughs> <laughs> hypothermia his death is listed as violent and not accidental yeah i don't know how it would be accidental that is no that's pretty intense what's going on and lastly alexander kolevatov he was also better dressed, but oddly his coat was unzipped, which is kind of weird when you're dealing with hypothermia. Why was his zipper unzipped on his jacket? All right, I have two things. One, this is a different Alexander yes. than Sasha. Yes. Okay. Number two. I'm getting confused too because <laughs> a lot of them have overlapping names. <laughs> anyway, I feel like when you are dying of hypothermia, you get that you get that thing where you feel really hot. Yeah, that you I'm feel gonna like you're like go burning. into that in a bit. Oh, no, it's sorry. okay. You can talk. <laughs> and uh, Alexander, the new one we're talking about, he didn't have any shoes. He just had wool socks on, and he also had burns on his clothes, likely from the first two victims. The soft tissue around his eyes were missing, and both his eyebrows were missing. He had a broken nose, a wound to the side of his head and a deformed neck. So I'm wondering if that means it was broken because some other translations describe the neck as being snapped. The coroner suggests that the harsh elements or some sort of violent fight led to his death. But despite these injuries, his death is listed as hypothermia, but is described as violent and not accidental. I don't know how much I'm buying the hypothermia thing. I know, like obviously hypothermia played a part, but Nothing's explaining what injuries happened to cause them to die of hypothermia because obviously these injuries happen to them. They're immobile or they're dying of these wounds and then they freeze to death in the meantime. Yeah, exactly. So you're just saying, oh, they died of hypothermia. Well, yeah, I guess that could be true. They're in the Siberian wilderness. Like, duh. Yeah. I don't know. I just find it so weird that these five are obviously not accidental and very violent. Yes. Sorry, four. 
the last four bodies. There's the first five that are accidents and violent. Their injuries were a little less severe or it was harder to tell maybe what they could be from. It's still hard to tell. Nobody has any fucking idea still. So those are the nine hikers. I hate that. I don't like this. I don't like it. All right. Are we going to theories? Almost. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) I have a a few more notes first. Okay. Go for Uh, it. They all have believed to have died between February 1st and February 2nd. They all died about six to eight hours after eating. Most of them are marked for dying of hypothermia and fatal injuries. Their deaths are considered violent. Most are described by the coroner as accidental, but then there's the last few that aren't. And then there's the force of damage too strong for any human to do. Those are just the important overall themes that are going on with all these deaths. And the conclusion was that these hikers died from hypothermia and an unknown compelling force. That was the official statement released. That's so creepy. An unknown compelling force. So initially, after a small amount of investigating that I'll explain later, the Russian government actually closed this case and didn't release any cause of death beyond this. Damn, they said open and shut case. Goodbye. Really, they did. So now we're going to get to the best part, and that's the theories. And these theories all surround this compelling unknown force that is described. And some of these theories even could give an answer as to why the Russian government closed the case so quickly and with so many unanswered questions too. And this story was being suppressed and it wasn't being reported on and it wasn't being investigated after a certain point. Not until after the Soviet Union ended. And by then... It's too late. We just have what's left in records or what was left behind in records. Now, there are a lot of theories, as many as 70. 70? Yeah, that's what they say. There's this, I don't, I'm not going to go through 70, but there's like as many as 70 theories out there on this. Damn. But first, let's talk about hypothermia, since it's obviously incredibly relevant to their last moments and possibly at least part of how they died. Now, we can't know why they left their tent dressed poorly. They left without putting on their boots, and even asleep, they would have been well-dressed. They would have been sleeping in thick clothes under their sleeping bags. Like, you aren't out there in the cold sleeping in your pajamas. Yeah, no. That's why I asked earlier if they were sleeping in their boots, because that's something I would do. Right? So, that doesn't make sense, how they all would have had less clothes than what you would have expected them to be wearing even sleeping but with hypothermia there is something that is quite common called paradoxical undressing despite your body being incredibly cold it actually starts to feel very hot and it's quite disorienting but your brain thinks you're so hot that you're on fire oh god and you start to take off your clothing and it happens in around 20 to 50 percent of hypothermia deaths Oh, wow. I thought it happened to all of them. Maybe the experience happens, but maybe people aren't always convinced to take off their clothes. They remember, hey, I'm still freezing to death. This is just a feeling I'm experiencing. I need to keep warm. So really, it just the only thing it doesn't quite explain why they left their tent less dressed because there aren't extra clothes found laying around, you know, in the tent. No, outside of the tent. Like, if they were 
experiencing this, they would have been taking off their clothes and you would they would have found clothes laying around somewhere, right? Oh, yeah, no. But they don't. So they all left with less clothes than they should have. Some of them might have ran into this experience of paradoxical undressing, but then others would have taken those clothes afterwards. But then there's still a lack of clothes going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's weird. But, like, was it proven that, like, a lot of the clothes were left at the tent? Yes, there were clothes left at the tent. Okay. So that was before any of this started happening. Anyway, so that's weird. Okay. And it's just the fact that they left without their shoes. That is really important. Keeping your feet warm. Yeah, and these people are, like, hella experienced, too. I don't know. I feel like the first thing that they would go for is shoes and, like, feet protection. They know what's up with frostbite and how right serious that is. So, to the theories, the main theory is an avalanche. And it is now regarded as the official theory or cause. All right, let's hear it. And if not a huge avalanche, maybe just a small one or something known as a slab avalanche. But this theory... It seems like it's the most pushed and the ones that officials want to say happened, but it just doesn't add up to everyone. And there's definitely some evidence that contradicts the possibility of there even having been an avalanche in that area at that time. Weeks after, they were able to track their footprints from the tent. If there was an avalanche, there wouldn't be footprints. That's true. And wasn't there only like a light dusting of snow on their tent? Yeah, their tent was still visible when it was found. It had snow on top of it, and it was collapsed, but the amount of snow that there was is way less than what would be coming from an avalanche. Yeah, and their bodies would be, like, covered, though. If it was an avalanche, yeah. like, they would be covered. Their footprints would be covered, everything. Not buying it. Next. Yeah, some even say maybe they heard an avalanche happening and they got scared and wanted to run off from the area but then it still doesn't explain their injuries then if they weren't in the avalanche they just ran from it then why are they so hurt why would you need to cut open your tent to get out of it if you hear an avalanche that too you would have just unzipped it right and then been able to come back regardless they would have been able to come back to their tent afterwards to get their supplies when they realized the area was safe as it was oh right yeah so The whole avalanche thing doesn't make sense. There's no scenario where it makes sense to me, but it's so pushed and it's the official cause is an avalanche, but there are footprints. I'm not buying it. And the tent isn't covered. I'm not buying it. Me neither. Next. Next. Yep. And their footprints wouldn't have been visible and their tent would have been completely covered. And again, there's the small avalanche theory, but that doesn't add up because that left their tent accessible and they would have gone and grabbed their things or tried to recover from that small avalanche that happened if there was one. Yeah, at any point, they could have just went back. Yeah, an avalanche doesn't explain why they would keep getting pushed farther and farther out. You gotta think, freezing to death is their biggest threat. Or should be. If it was a natural cause, like an an avalanche, freezing to death is their biggest concern. And while an avalanche could happen in this area, it's not known to have avalanches. And the Mansi people don't have any record of an avalanche happening there ever. 
or in that area. What? Okay, yeah. no. And there's no signs that an avalanche happened around that time. Immediately, no. The evidence just isn't there. And the way their tent was laying wasn't in the direction it would have been if an avalanche had occurred. And also, we just talked about the very small amount of snow that was on top of the tent. An avalanche would have completely covered the tent and probably them too. And even if they'd escaped beforehand, it would have covered the tent. And that's why they wouldn't have been able to have gotten their supplies again. But the tent wasn't covered at all. Right, and I feel like even if it was like a slab of avalanche, like a small one, and they just heard it and they thought it was coming for them, I feel like at some point they would have realized that the threat is gone and that they would have been able to go back to their tent. So I'm really not buying that one. Yeah, but yet in 2020, the official cause of this event was announced of being an avalanche. 2020? Yeah, that recent. Wow. Before, it was just the most pushed theory, but it became the official cause in 2020. I don't know why. Why in 2020? So if we do want to talk about the slab avalanche for a minute, it could have caused snow to hit their tent and collapse. And the weight of that snow would have been comparable to a car. And remember, they're also laying on top of those skis that are under their tent. And that could have crushed them and caused that kind of chest trauma and to escape they would have had to slash open their tent and get out so that is really the main official cause okay but it doesn't explain how they got so far away from each other though yeah why once they get out of the tent they slashed it open just to get out why would they leave their supplies right if they're all broken and busted all together yeah they're all really hurt They're all science majors. They have really good problem-solving skills. And they've been hiking before. Yeah. So they know how to fix themselves if they get injured while hiking. All their supplies are here at the tent, and they wouldn't leave those things behind unless they thought a bigger avalanche was happening or coming. I don't... That doesn't add up either. They're scientists. Yeah, dude. I don't know anything about avalanches either. I don't either, but if I were in their shoes, I feel like... I would know that my best bet is still getting my supplies and making sure I'm well-dressed. Is that a thing, though? Like, do avalanches, like, once one happens, like, does another one happen? Like, earthquakes, how there's, like... How, and also just, it's causing, like, an avalanche, compare it to an earthquake that it's causing all this motion in the mountains, so it could cause more snow in another spot to fall, or more, you know? Yeah, okay. Maybe that would be a reason why they would run i guess but if you're injured that bad i don't know if you could be injured that bad and run away that too they are severely injured and if those injuries are being described by the slab avalanche how did they get that far away yeah and why would they have gone that far i don't think a slab avalanche would make someone's eyeballs come out of their head right or their tongue pop their eyeballs right out (laughs) i don't think so Yeah, and they wouldn't have climbed up trees. Yeah, no. They would not have climbed up trees if there was an avalanche. Yeah, all these other strange injuries and things wouldn't be there if it was a slab avalanche. I just don't buy it. Like, it doesn't... They could have survived if it was a slab. Well, maybe not, because maybe their injuries were so bad that they would have died right there. 
but if they were able to gather their things and trek back, some of them could have made it back to the village. I feel like because they are experienced hikers, they would understand avalanches. So they would kind of know how to go about trying to survive one. So it really just doesn't add up to me. I mean, it all doesn't add up to me anyway. I mean, it would have made sense that they would have made their way towards the forest. But why would they leave without their things? That just is the big question. So, yeah, it's just it's the most an avalanche is the most natural way to explain their injuries and maybe some of their actions but it just leaves all those unexplained gaps that don't add up at all um so i personally lead towards it being a possible cover-up for something way bigger honestly yes i was kind of thinking that throughout the thing throughout the thing the thing being you talking (laughs) so it seems the group while they had these diaries that were to be submitted to the school they also had one they were working on together in sort of a newspaper format and they called it evening a torton after the mountain that they were on torton a torton a torton yeah that makes me think like i think i'm that's how i'm assuming it's pronounced it's giving very much like tortellini tortellini it does it's like sounds like a newspaper for like spaghetti for italian for italian cuisine cuisine. (laughs) the torton (laughs) the evening a (laughs) torton are you subscribed to the evening a torton yeah i get all my italian recipes (laughs) all the new developments in ravioli you know all the new things they be stuffing in there sweet lord sick and twisted and one of the entries starts off as from now on we know the snowmen exist they can be found in the northern urals next to mount atorton and this begins the yeti theory the snowmen the snowmen the hikers had suffered violent injuries from a strong heavy force They had abrasions, bruises, and wounds that could be described as offensive or defensive wounds. Their deaths are being described as violent. A lot of their wounds could be described as by being in a fight or being attacked by something that is stronger than human. The abominable snowman from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's it. That might, I mean, I don't know. Something also continued to push these hikers farther and farther away from the tent. And I think it's pretty safe to say at this point that a lot of these injuries didn't happen in a close vicinity to the tent or else they would have stayed there and used first aid or supplies to recollect themselves. So I feel like these injuries happened farther out or something kept pushing them farther out. And the Mansi tribe does have a legend about forest giants. They call the Menk, and the giants are human-like, violent, and they live in the Ural Mountains. Now, ultimately, there are no giant footprints found of the mysterious Yeti, so that really disregards this theory as possible. Also, the fact that there's maybe not even a real Yeti, but Maybe it floats. Ooh, maybe it does fly. Right? Maybe it flies. You never know. There's no footprints because she'd be soaring. And it was a theory you mentioned the first time we recorded. You're like, what if it's shrooms? Oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of do remember that. It's coming back. I hadn't at that point researched it too much, but because you mentioned it, I was like, I'm going to look into this just to see what's see what's up. People think that too? Um, 
it's been thrown out there. Okay. Um, the hikers could have intentionally or accidentally taken shrooms and could have tripped and had bad reactions to the shrooms, and it would have caused their odd behavior. The mushrooms specifically referenced in this theory are fly agaric, which are the classic red ones with the white spots. They're really cute ones. I suppose because they are known to be in this area and they grow under pine trees. Yeah, I don't think you're supposed to eat those. They can be toxic. It's, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, at the same time, um, while I do think that that might have been a possibility, if there was no like toxicology report done or anything like that, like I don't know if they would have been able to find that. In yeah, their how system. do do shrooms stay in your system like that? And tox can they be read on toxicology reports? I'm not sure, but you did say that the last time that they ate was like six to eight six hours. Six to eight hours. That's true. And they would have found mushroom like shrooms in their stomach, right? I don't know, but based on research and experience. I feel like, you know, you're peaking like a couple hours in, right? You're like peaking. So I feel like six. the last time they ate six to eight hours, like maybe if they ate him like eight hours before they died, then like they could have been peaking like four hours before they died or something. And yeah. And I think you can do away with the theory that they accidentally ingested these shrooms like they're scientists they know what they're doing yeah no yeah so if they took shrooms it was intentional oh yeah they had food did they have food left at the tent yeah yeah there was food at the tent okay well then they're not like scavenging for food there was even specifically like partially cooked food left by their stove like bacon and ham that sounds me eating at the coffee shop every day that's all I eat bacon and ham that's weird okay I like almost believe it but I feel like there would have been evidence of that yeah and while it explains some of the weird things they were doing if they had taken them or happened to have a bad trip because of them uh, because they overdid it or something it doesn't explain their injuries. I have a hard time believing a lot of these chest injuries could have been self-inflicted in any way, even on a bad trip. Yeah, I don't think having a bad trip would cause your skull to be crushed, but you know, hand-to-hand combat, maybe. Oh, yeah, true. That's possible. Yeah. Maybe they could have been having a bad trip and been like, you look like a zombie. I'm gonna beat you up. That's true, but the coroner really believes that no human could have caused that kind of force. Of course, that's all up to his opinion. Yeah. There is also the theory of infrasound, which states that wind going around this mountain could have created undetectable frequencies too low for the human ear, but the vibrations would have caused disorientation and panic. It would cause you to go crazy, but this theory, I mean, it could have been part of it, but it wouldn't have made all nine of them go crazy at once. Yeah, I was almost thinking something like that, like something like military-wise or something like yeah. that would cause Well, infrasound is natural. It's caused by the wind going around the yeah, mountains. But yeah, yeah I, I mean like saying. that or like something military-wise that they're oh, doing like, yeah. would cause them to go crazy. And I guess that would explain things, but yeah, they wouldn't all go crazy at once. 
Yeah, and then once they got away from the sound, they would have recollected themselves and been like, oh my god, we're idiots. Let's go back and get our shit. Yeah, right? They would have been like, damn. Because I feel like they would have known. And just like the shrooms, it doesn't explain the violent deaths still. I mean, I don't know. If you're like actually going like crazy loony, who who knows? Like, I don't know what humans are like completely 100% capable of. And I don't know the builds of these people, if they were like hella strong or whatnot. Like... I don't know. Maybe if you're like actually going insane, you could potentially have enough power, like with a weapon or something, to cause damage like that. That's true. And the last four bodies were found in a ravine. I don't know how deep this ravine was, but some theories say what if they fell off the edge of the ravine and that caused those violent injuries? Maybe. Maybe. It's it's kind of weird that all four of them just fell off the ravine. Yeah, I don't know. Another theory suggests catabatic wind. I don't know if I'm saying that. Maybe it's catabotic. 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 Maybe it's that. Which occurs very rarely, but it's wind that is created on these slopes that is very violent and pushes down the mountain with a lot of force. And it's actually the main theory for deaths of another set of hikers in the 70s in Sweden and catabotic winds would have forced the hikers out of their tent and it would make sense that the next plan of action would be to go down towards the trees for shelter and to get away from the open wind but the footprints are still intact and I think if the winds were violent enough to force them out of their tent it would have disrupted the snow a lot and it probably would have blown away their tent. I was just about to say wouldn't their shit all be blown away yeah and that ski wouldn't have been left standing there yep next next yeah it really has to be something that scares them out of their tent but doesn't disrupt the area pushes them out and then causes their injuries i don't know what would do that that would not leave some sort of track yeah so it can't i don't think it can be anything natural or weather related right i don't know so i don't think you're ready for these next few theories because this is when it really gets crazy i keep saying that but this is it all right, I'm lit. This is the grand finale. All right. <laughs> grand finale, guys. There's an alien theory, and this is based off of UFOs. Orange orbs in the sky were reported seen in the area during this time. This alien theory states that the hikers could have been scared out of their tents by a UFO, and it could explain why there's no evidence or footprints, and even why the cameras went missing. Interesting. Now, even if you don't believe in aliens or that it was aliens, there are definite reports of UFOs either at Diet Love Pass or nearby by several sources during the months of January, February, and March of that year. My explanation for that is military bullshit. Yeah, and we'll continue on to that after the alien stuff, but the alien stuff does exist, so I'm kind of including it now, but everything that could explain aliens also could explain some military shit going on true um and these sightings are reported by students scientists natives and military oh okay yeah so a lot of witnesses and a group of people witnessed these orbs on february 1st which is the day that supposedly all this happened and they witnessed from a distance in the vicinity of where these nine hikers were where they saw these orbs. Additionally, a nearby town published an article on February 17th of that year 
about the UFO sightings. Oh, shit. So it was like legit. Yeah, it seems quite legit. Probably not aliens, but... Probably not aliens. Definitely some UFOs. But probably some crazy light shit happening in the sky. Yeah, some unidentified flying objects. I just like to point out that that's what that means. And everybody, oh, as soon as you bring up UFO, they're like, oh, not aliens. Come on, man. But then you're like, yeah. no, it could be anything. It doesn't mean it's aliens. aliens. Yeah. It could be it's just military. An unidentified it, flying it's object. Just, that's all it is. It's just something you just don't know what it is. You're just saying it's flying and you don't know what it is. True. I just like to point that out. I don't know. A lead investigator of the case named Leo Ivanov, in addition to hearing about all these sightings, also noticed that the tops of some of the pine trees in the area were burned. The tops? Yeah, just the tops. Okay. And in an interview in the 90s, he also admitted that he'd been pressured to withdraw evidence of what he considered to be the true cause of the incidents, and he called them fireballs or these UFOs that had been seen by many witnesses. Oh, yeah, it's getting really deep here. All right. Well, that immediately suggests some sort of cover-up bullshit that they're doing over there. Yes. It kind of lends itself to another theory that I personally believe in the most. But if this is true, that's crazy. Because he's a known investigator of this incident, and he's actually the prosecutor of the case. The prosecutor. Oh, shit. Prosecutor. And who, he's admitting- Who are they suing? <laughs> Dang, it keeps my spot. Sorry, it's because I keep asking stupid ass questions. So he's the prosecutor of this case, and he's admitting to some sort of cover up over 30 years later, as he was pressured to hide evidence of something unnatural going on. I've become a real conspiracy theorist, theorist about this. And I've always loved discussing this case because it's so detailed but so mysterious. But now that I've really deep dived into it, I really think there's something else going on. Because all this I'm telling you about Leo and this cover-up is really new. I just learned this this week. And I've known about this uh, incident for years. Yeah, I had to go real deep in the internet to find this shit. Yeah, it's got to be some sort of cover-up. Well, he admitted to it, so it is. Already. Yeah, and these bodies and clothes were tested for radiation too, which is weird. Why would anyone think to test nine victims of a supposed avalanche for radiation? Tea. That is the tea. That's the fucking tea. They know something that we don't. Now, what I found about radiation was never mentioned in the articles pushing the avalanche theory. I had to deep dive into a lot of documents and websites that strive to tell this from a very objective standpoint. Which is what I'm trying to do, too. But all the facts are pointing to cover-up. True. I second that. Radiation was found on several articles of clothing and on several bodies. Which, I don't know much about radiation, so the numbers were kind of beyond me. And I was just really listening to what the scientists were saying these numbers meant. But those, the article, the articles of clothing, this is really hard to say. The articles of clothing really stuck out to the scientists. Three specifically. It was a pair of pants, a sweater, and another sweater. The readings of those articles of clothing were kind of off the charts and very unnatural. And then there was also just radiation found on the bodies and other clothes, too. That's some military shit happening up in there. Definitely. Yeah, there's no natural radiation happening on this mountain. There's no way. And it far surpassed the amount you find on someone who even worked around radiation. 
and experts said that the amount found could absolutely not have occurred without being in a contaminated environment. Whoa. Now, why would anywhere in the Siberian wilderness be contaminated with radiation? Military. Military. That's where the investigation ends with the radiation. They do not test the area. They do nothing else with the radiation. It's just let go. Oh, yeah. Someone told him to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. So publicly, it's let go. So apparently, there were two official forces investigating the Diet Love incident. And at first, it was just what we'd consider a police force called the MVD. And the real name is very Russian and not translated, so I have no idea if there's another name for it. But the MVD included the prosecutor, Leo Ivanov, and he was the one saying he was pressured to withdraw the information of the case. And eventually, another force gets involved in investigating. And from what I understand, this happened because of all the weird things that were going on. All the unexplained details, the UFOs, the radiation. And I think because all these things were being discovered, what is known as the KGB got involved. It's also untranslated and Russian, but they were known to have been involved in top secret stuff. So the MVD dealt with private citizens and solving crimes, you know, like a police force, but the KGB were the top dogs there. They were like the men in black of the Soviet Union. Oh, shit. Come on, Will Smith. And Yuri Yudin, the one who survived, believed that Leo was covering, I'm not going to say his last name because I think I keep butchering it, but Leo's the prosecutor. Um, Yuri believed that Leo was covering things up purposely and ignoring facts which would make sense if he was being forced to keep hush about things. Yep. This case was actually being considered criminal at this point. The results came back about the radiation on the 27th, but on the 28th, the case was completely closed. The criminal case was completely closed, and that's when the Russian government came out and was like, oh, it was a unknown force, an unknown compelling force. That's when all that happened. They're lying. Yeah, they are lying. They found something out in that report and they said shit. Because it said Leo was at first really focused, was really focused on finding out whatever happened to these hikers. And he was diligent. He was working with the scientists and learning all about this crazy stuff. And even that their injuries were most likely caused by explosions. Explosions? Yeah. But then out of nowhere, he becomes to the outside world completely uninterested he's distant and he closes the case and all that's said about it is that it was hypothermia and this unknown compelling force damn they really got his ass so yeah that's really leading to the possibility of a cover-up i second that i think a cover-up is probably the most likely answer yeah so Because of this, a big theory is that it had something to do with the military or the government or this KGB force, that either it was a military testing site that they accidentally stumbled onto or that they become targets from one of these groups because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And this would explain this element of there being a cover-up by the government if it was military or something to do with something top secret. This is all going on in the Cold War. And during the Cold War, there was a lot of like shady stuff going on with the government and with the military they were really doing some weird testing stuff oh yeah yeah i have a feeling they were doing some crazy bullshit up there out of the way of humanity these people despite 
warnings, went up there anyway, got caught in some shit that they shouldn't have been caught up in. And obviously it's during the Cold War. The military doesn't want to expose their secrets and what they're doing, so they probably shut them down. Yeah, and why the hell would a top secret, this top secret KGB group get involved if they weren't covering up something top secret? They would have no interest in nine hikers dying in the woods of an avalanche. Yeah, no, they would not that's, give a fuck. That's way out of their jurisdiction or interest. Yeah, absolutely. So if something was going on, tests or experiments or any unknown technology, it could explain the orbs, it could explain the radiation, the tops of the trees being burned... And maybe it could even explain them being so scared that they destroyed their shelter, escaped into the woods unclothed and unprepared. And it could also explain why cameras went missing if any of those cameras had captured anything during that entire trip that someone later could have looked back and been like, hey, that's suspicious. Let's look into that. Yeah. So they probably took evidence to cover up and they probably covered up a lot of evidence that could have been in the area if explosions happened Like, if anything, if there's any kind of debris from the technology, maybe if technology was hurting them. They could have went in and just cleaned it up. Yeah, they could have cleaned it all up and tried to make it look natural. Yeah. Damn, that's fucked up. And you got to think about it. Leo didn't come out about anything until the 90s. And do you know what else happened in the 90s? Oh, my God. Wait, the USSR was busted up. Yeah. (gasps) Isn't that weird? Yeah, wait. This is all weird. It was definitely some government cover-up yeah. thing, military thing. I am now, like, absolutely certain that's it. I used to be like, that was my fa- that was always my favorite theory, but now that I've really just deep-dived into the investigation and who was involved, like, it really leaves you with no other choice because the avalanche theory just doesn't add up. It doesn't explain their actions Yeah, at all. And there's so much mystery to it that there has to be more to it. Yeah. I agree. That's probably the theory that I'm going with as well. Because it... I don't know. It makes sense. Once the Soviet Union fell, and this guy felt comfortable enough to come out to do that, makes sense. Yeah. And one last thing against the slab avalanche theory. Like, I was in a car wreck last year, and an airbag went off and hit my chest. And that's pretty minor injuries, But I could not move. Like, it was so painful to walk and move around immediately after and then also just in the weeks after that. So I really have a hard time believing that these hikers could have made it that far in the cold with those injuries. And those injuries were way worse than what I had because they it broke ribs. Like, it did damage that ended up killing them or leading them to their death or would have killed them if the hypothermia didn't. So I just don't by the slab avalanche theory. It doesn't add up that they made it that far after the injury happened, supposedly at their tent. So yeah, it explains all the cover-ups to the investigations, or to the investigation. It explains why the KGB got involved, why this Leo guy withdrew details of the investigation because an avalanche causes panic, of course, but there's a lack of evidence that there was an avalanche and it just doesn't explain what they did after. And no one's going to question nine hikers dying of an avalanche in the wilderness. So I think that's why they created this theory and made it the official cause. Because everyone's going to accept it unless they really look into it, which no one really does. 
yeah, for some reason, that's true. Like, what are you going to do? Be like, no, avalanches don't happen in snowy mountains. Yeah. So that's that's what I think happened. I think it was a cover-up. I think so, too. After hearing all those, that's what I truly believe. So, yeah, that was a really long episode. But that was the Diet's Love incident. Also, next week, yeah, starts our Halloween episodes. Yes, Halloween. So with that... Stay spooky, stay strange, and we'll see you in the next one.